So Ruth stayed close to the women who worked for Boaz as she picked up grain. She worked until the time when all the barley and wheat had been harvested, and she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Naomi spoke to her. My daughter, I must find a home for you. It should be a place where you will be provided for. You've been working with the women who work for Boaz. He's a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be separating the straw from his barley on the threshing floor. So wash yourself, put on some perfume, and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz know you're there. Wait until he has finished eating and drinking. Notice where he lies down, then go over and uncover his feet. Lie down there and he'll tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly and uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Lord bless you, my daughter. This act of kindness is greater than the kindness you have shown Naomi in the beginning. You didn't look for a young man to marry, either rich or poor. Now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do everything you ask, because all the people in our town know you are a good woman. It is true that I am a relative who is to take care of you, but you have a closer relative than I. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, we will see if he will redeem you. If he decides to redeem you, that is fine. But if he refuses, I will redeem you myself as surely as the Lord lives. So stay here until morning. So she stayed at his feet until morning, but she got up before anyone else could be recognized. Boaz thought, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He told her to bring him her shawl. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town, and she went home. How did it go, my daughter? He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Ruth, my daughter, wait here until you see what happens. Boaz will not rest until he has finished doing what he should do today. Well, good morning, Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, it, uh, doesn't it kind of remind you of uh, wanting to go and watch Fiddle on the Roof, you know, this afternoon, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, find me a fine, catch me a catch, you know, well, maybe it doesn't, but uh, kind of did to me. Matchmaking is, uh, it's as old as time. Uh, think about it, God was the first matchmaker. He created Eve and, and brought her to Adam. Um, and this story, 3,000 plus years ago, it's uh, Naomi who is, uh, who is the matchmaker. Uh, things are starting to get exciting and heating up here in this, uh, in this third chapter. And ever since Naomi found out that Ruth had been gleaning in the field of Boaz, um, man, her excitement meter has been going up. 
she said back in chapter 2, verse 20, she said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Now, if you've got an NIV translation, that last word, phrase, he is one of our closest relatives, is translated the kinsman redeemer. He is a kinsman redeemer, which comes from a, a Hebrew word, goel, a goel, um, a close relative, um, a, a redeemer. It is a, a word that, that ties into, um, it's a unique concept, it ties into uh, family obligation, family responsibilities. It's someone who redeems out of concern for the family, a family obligation. Um, God has placed a very high value on the family in the Old Testament. And there were certain uh, familial responsibilities, obligations that had to take place if uh, family members had gotten into uh, situations of, of stress, of duress, of, of poverty. Uh, there's a whole set of laws in the Old Testament called the laws of the kinsman redeemer. Uh, there's four of them. For instance, one of the laws is that a kinsman redeemer, a, a goel, a close relative, was responsible to buy back land that had been sold by a relative who was in poverty, a relative who couldn't pay the debts and so had to sell portions of their land to get out of debt. Well, according to Leviticus 25, 25, the nearest relative, the goel, was obligated to buy that land and give it back to the relative. A second responsibility was to buy back a relative who, in severe poverty, had to sell themselves into slavery. And uh, it was the obligation, according to Leviticus 25 again, for that uh, close relative, that goel, to uh, pay the debt so that the person can get, uh, get himself out of slavery. The third uh, obligation was a tough one. It was um, uh, avenging the blood of, uh, of a relative who had been murdered. If a relative had been murdered, it was, according to this law, in Numbers 35, it was required of the goel, of the close relative, to act as prosecutor and executor to avenge the blood of the murdered relative, to go after the murderer and end his life, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was the law of the goel, the law of the kinsman redeemer. There's a fourth responsibility or obligation in the Old Testament law, and though the word goel isn't used here, this was to rescue the family name from extinction. So this is how this worked. If a, if, a, if a man died and had no progeny, it was a responsibility of a goel, of a close relative, to marry the widow and have children, have a, have a child, a progeny, in the name of that dead relative. It is the law of the kinsman redeemer. Of the, of the goel. It's called the Leverite marriage law in Deuteronomy 25. And so when, when Naomi said in, um, in chapter 2, verse 20, Boaz is a relative. He is a close relative. He is a kinsman redeemer. Boaz is a goel. 
you can see why she was getting excited. Their, their future as, as widowed women in that culture at that time was, uh, they were relegated to a life of, of poverty, they were destitute, especially Ruth being a Moabite, as a foreigner in that land. They, their, their prospects for a bright future were dim at best, except there was the law of the kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament, the law of the Goel. And we see Naomi's once bitter heart starting to change. That bitterness is dissipating and she is finding hope because of the Old Testament law. Um, so she concocts a plan. Uh, her mind starts working here when she finds out that Ruth has been gleaning in the field of Boaz. So verse 1, Naomi, the mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Ruth had been doing all the heavy lifting. I mean, she was the young one. She said, Naomi, I care for you. I love you. I'm devoted to you. I'm going to take care of you. And she's out in the field gleaning. She's the one who's working hard so that they can survive, that they can have food. But Naomi, she's saying, what? look, I'm not put out to pasture here. I'm going to seek your security and my security in the process. Should that not be what I should do? And so she is concocting a plan for Ruth to have security, to have rest. Look at verse 2. Now, is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. It was a harvest season. The threshing floor, it was a, a place probably up on top of a hill, a flat place that everybody would come, take their turns on their particular night and do the threshing of their barley. And tonight, it was Boaz. Can you see Naomi's mind working here? And so she said, here's the plan, verse 3. Wash yourself, anoint yourself. Some of our translation says, put on perfume. Put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but don't make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Um, the New Living Translation, it says, here, here, let me tell you what to do. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes and get yourself to the threshing floor. Um, now, literally, when it says put on your nicest clothes, most of our translations use that, uh, that phrase. It's like, you know, Hey, put, put on your finest. Take a bath, put on perfume, and, and gussy up, and put on the finest dress. That's not, the, the word literally is, and, and put on your mantle, your shawl. It's a word that means a large outer garment. You see, Naomi's plan was, she, there were a lot of thought put into this, and a lot of detail. Put on your outer garment, because, Ruth, you don't want to be detected. You see, my plan involves stealth in the midst of the darkness. She says there in verse 4, it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. Mark it, note it. In other words, it's going to be dark. You don't want to get the wrong person here. That would be an embarrassment. Find out, note where he is going to lie. 
and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he'll tell you what to do next. That's the plan. It's detailed. Put on that outer garment. Keep yourself somewhat secretive. Don't let them know who you are. Keep your eyes open, and you see where he's sleeping. You go find and mark it, and don't mess up. Mark it well. And then go lie down at his feet and uncover his feet. And he'll take it from there. Um, it says in verse 5, So Ruth said to her, All that you do, all that you've said, I will do. Total willing commitment. I'll do it. Now, remember last week I mentioned that one of the themes in the book of Ruth, one of the key themes in the book of Ruth, is is this idea of God's providential oversight. He, he is a sovereign God. And the story of the book of Ruth, these four chapters, is a story of how God is weaving his plan to bring about his eternal purposes through King David and, and ultimately the Messiah. So the book of Ruth is a theology book about God who's providentially working out his plan for the ages. But I also said that doesn't negate man's responsibility as a free moral agent uh, to freely make choices. And that's what we're seeing here. Ruth is, uh, Naomi is using her brain. She's coming up with a plan. Behind the scenes, the sovereign God is working out his, his careful, according to Ephesians uh, 1.11, he's working all things out according to the counsel of his will. But Naomi is using her mind and her, her choices, and she's concocting this plan to provide security and safety and rest for Ruth and herself. Well, so Ruth does, uh, works the plan. Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then when she comes, secretly did what Naomi said, uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled. He was getting cold. His feet were cold. And he wakes up. He's startled. And he bent forward, probably to cover his feet back up, and behold... That's kind of the feel of this passage. What? A woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she said, I'm Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid. Spread, literally, spread your wings out over your maid. For you are a goel, a close relative. Um, what we have here is a marriage proposal. Ruth, in accordance with the law, she's not doing anything um, that was inappropriate. It was all according to the law. She was making a marriage proposal, as she was really required to do, to call the goel, the, the, the near relative, to obey the law of leveret marriage and uh, fulfill his obligation. Um, when, uh, back in chapter 2, when Boaz 
tells Ruth that you are a woman of, of, of high reputation. We know all about you, how you left Moab, how you are devoted to your mother-in-law. You came to a, a foreign land to take care of your mother-in-law. He, he says, you are a woman who has co- been committed to the God of Israel, Jehovah the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to find refuge. And what Ruth is doing this night, she's inviting Boaz to be a part of God's plan of finding refuge for Ruth, for Naomi. Spread your wings, Boaz, your covering. Fulfill the obligation of a goel, of the kinsman redeemer. Boaz's response, um, I mean, you can't miss it. He's thrilled. He said, verse 10, may you be blessed of Jehovah, Yahweh, my daughter. You have shown your, your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. What was her first kindness? It was, it was leaving everything that was familiar to her. It was leaving Moab, and, and in spite of the, the pushing, of, uh, pushing away of no, Naomi, no, go, stay, stay where you are. Life will be better for you in, no, in Moab. Uh, Ruth's first kindness was to say, no, I'm committed to you. Your God is going to be my God. That's her conversion story. Your people are going to be my people. Where you dwell, I'll dwell. Where, where, where you die, I'll die. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. Her reputation of being this kind daughter-in-law, of committed, loyal in her love for Naomi, um, it was known throughout the area. But Boaz is saying here, that kindness doesn't hold a candle to the kindness you're showing me. Boaz was falling in love with this gal. In his kind heart, he wanted to marry her. And he was a close relative. Um, but there's a problem. Isn't that just the way it always works? Just when you, you, you think things are scripted out just right and and, you know, you, you, you end the story and they all live happily ever after. It just seems like life never works out that way. Like Charlie Brown said, I was winning at the game of life until someone threw a flag and life dealt me a cruel blow. We get flags thrown in our life. But those flags are faith builders. Opportunities to trust God. Well, a flag was thrown here. Verse 12, Boaz says, Now, it is true, I am a close relative, but there is a relative closer than I. And all of a sudden, like all bets are off, Naomi's well-concocted plan is just look like it's going up in smoke. There's someone who is closer. There is a close goel, someone closer. Um, undaunted Boaz though continues to encourage Ruth verse 13 he said now remain this night and when morning comes if he will redeem you well good let him redeem you but if he does not wish to redeem you I will redeem you as the Lord lives I will redeem you so lie down until morning 
Boaz, in the kindness of his heart, in the love of his heart, he promises to marry Ruth if the other Goel doesn't work out. Not only does he promise to marry Ruth, though, he, um, he provides for her or he, he protects her from potential gossip. Next, verse 14, she lay at his feet until morning, rose before anyone could recognize one another. And then he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He's protecting her reputation. He's protecting her honor. Let it be quiet. Don't let anybody know. He promises to marry. He protects her. And which was typical of Boaz, he also provided. Ruth never left Boaz's presence without being given a gift, without being provided something. So it says, um, verse 15, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. And so she held it and he measured six measures of barley, laid it on her, and then she went out into the city. When she comes back to Naomi, verse 16, she's, Naomi asks, so how did it go, my daughter? I mean, don't you, these are fast, quick verses and you can read so much into them, but believe you me, I bet Naomi wasn't sleeping a wink that night. She's just wondering, what is going on? What is going on? Is the plan working? You know, did, did, did she get found out? Did she get discovered? Was the mantle big enough to cover her? What, what happened? And so here comes Ruth back home. So how did it go? Tell me the story. And um, so she tells, tells uh, Naomi what had happened. These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. His kindness, his willingness, obviously, to redeem her, to, to marry her, but the problem existed. And verse 18 Naomi said, now wait, my daughter. Literally, sit tight. Just wait. Just rest. Sit tight. Until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Something's going to happen. You can almost hear Boaz singing, I'm getting married in the morning. They ought to make a musical <laughs> of this book, shouldn't they? Um, so he promises to marry her, he protects her, he provides for her, and um, now they have to sit tight and wait. Now, there are a lot of lessons, I think, in this little chapter, chapter 3, tons of them. For sake of time this morning, I want to share with you just one lesson from each of these characters in this third chapter this morning. So, a lesson from the life of Naomi, simply this. Naomi knew the Word of God. She was familiar with the Word of God, with the Scripture. If she was unfamiliar with these leveret marriage laws, with this, these laws of the kinsman redeemer, if, that, if, if she was unaware of those things, she and Ruth would have stayed in perpetual poverty. There, there was no hope for them. But she knew the law. She knew what the Word said. There was hope. There is this law of the Goel, of the kinsman redeemer, and Ruth was not ignorant of the scriptures. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says that the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, we move out of spiritual poverty into spiritual wealth. Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies 
is ours in Christ. The moment we trust Christ as our Savior, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Peter writes in 2 Peter, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We are fabulously wealthy the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. Our sins are forgiven. We, we have eternal life. We, something we look forward to. But not only that, we have eternal life now. The moment we trust Christ as our Savior, we get eternal life, the quality of life that he's paid the price for. We, we've been given the Holy Spirit. It's a down, he's the down payment, the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1. He's simply a down payment of the glories that are yet to come. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. The third person of the Trinity indwells us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit at the moment of faith so that his fruit and the life of Jesus can re be reproduced in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, all the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, I came to give you life, to give it to you in abundance. We can experience that abundant life. It is ours the moment we trust Christ as our personal Savior. We don't have to live the way we once lived, do the things we once did, think the way we once thought, because we're not the same people we once were. We are transformed by the grace of God at the moment of faith. If we believe it. If we know it. And how are we going to come to know it? Through His Word. We come to know these things through the... the through God's word, he's written it down for us. We don't have to be ignorant of what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ, a born again, spirit indwelt, forgiven, spirit led Christian and experience everything that God has for us. But if we don't know what we have, then we'll continue to live as spiritual paupers. Fellowship Bible Church is a church that we hope teaches the Bible because it's in God's Word that we find out of the riches of His grace, of ours, of our inheritance that becomes ours the moment we trust Christ. We know that by being women and men of the book. There's a lesson from the life of Ruth, I think, simply that Ruth is an example of what it means to be a woman of faith, a person of faith. She lived her life dependently upon this, this God of Israel that she had soon come to know. Um, back in chapter 1, when Naomi was trying to force her to stay in Moab, um, you know, that's, that's what you're familiar with, that's your family, everything. You Go find a husband back in Moab and you don't want to come and follow me. But Ruth said, no, your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. Um, the reputation again of Ruth was she had come under the wings of Jehovah God. She was finding refuge in him. She was a woman of faith. And so she comes to a land that is totally unknown to her. She does that in faith. She gets up that morning and gleans in a, in a field that is totally unknown, the owner of which she has no idea who it is, gleaning am among strangers and potential enemies, people that could abuse her, unknown setting, 
in, an, in this unknown land. But she's trusting Jehovah God. She has come to find refuge under his wings. And when Naomi told Ruth, here's my plan. Go tonight to the threshing floor. Do this, do this, do this. In faith and in dependence upon Jehovah God, she says, all that you have commanded, I'll do it. She was a woman who every step, it seems like, of her life, and this uh, recorded in this book that bears her name, every step is a dependent step, a walk of faith. If the Christian life is anything, it is a constant walk of faith. We don't know somehow, sometimes, how things are going to work out. We don't have the script before us, but we have God. And to the degree that we know him, we find that he is very trustworthy. Um, when, in verse 18, Naomi said, sit tight, Ruth. There's this other Goel, okay, sit tight, rest, just wait. And we'll see how this matter turns out. That was the easiest thing for Ruth to do. Because it had marked her life ever since she left Moab. To just wait, trust God, do the next right thing. She was a woman of faith. That's why she was called a, a woman of excellence. You know, the, the more we we trust the Lord, the, the, the longer we learn how to walk dependently upon him, I think the easier it becomes to trust him because we know how completely, utterly trustworthy he is. Our relationship with him grows and deepens. We get to know him better, that he's trustworthy. As we have come to put our lives under his care, under his wings to find our refuge, we find that those wings protect us and care for us. There's a lesson from the life of Boaz as well, I think. Now, Boaz, uh, like Naomi, was, I think, equally respectful of the Mosaic law when, when he said, there's another relative who's closer than, than I am. He's respecting the law. He could have kind of finagled and kind of put that aside and schemed and, and, and got his way. But no, he, he respected the, the law. There's someone else, and we have to play this out. He was also a man who walked dependently upon the Lord. But the example that I think he sets here is that while he is an example of, of living by faith, he's an example that living by faith doesn't mean mere passivity. He's got a reputation, too. Naomi says there in verse 18, the man will not rest until he's settled it today. Okay, so we've got a little problem here. There's someone closer. Um, we'll deal with it, says Boaz. He didn't sit back and roll over and quit. There was no passivity. His faith was an active faith. He trusted the Lord, but he stepped out in faith. He will not rest until the issue is settled today. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we are to be steadfast, immovable, 
and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. Just because we are called to live by faith, to appropriate His grace every moment of the day, doesn't mean that we live passively. We do the next right thing according to the Word of God. So the Apostle Paul would write in Philippians chapter 2, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Don't you love that? Isn't this kind of this enigma of, of uh, what, what I think it was Francis Schaeffer 50 years ago uh, wrote a book on uh, true spirituality who coined this idea of active passivity. Active passivity. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is God calling you to do today? Uh, what, what, what does he want you to be obedient to? What, what are you finding in God's word? What's the nudging of the Holy Spirit in your life? What don't you sit there? Obey him. Do it. But don't do it in your own strength. Because you've got a whole power source within us that has been deposited within us. That's part of the richness of our spiritual wealth. It is God who is at work in us, both to will, to make us want to, and to work it out in us. And I think Boaz is an example of that active passivity that should characterize us as followers of Jesus Christ. So, there's a lesson from Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. There's a fourth truth, though, in this passage we can't miss. Did you know that the term goel in the Old Testament is used of God as the Redeemer, as the kinsman Redeemer? Um, Jehovah God was Israel's kinsman Redeemer. Exodus chapter 6, as an example, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. To function as a goel involved a, a family responsibility, but it, it seemed like it always involved an expenditure of, of effort. I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. There's a passage in the prophets, Ezekiel chapter 16. It's a very graphic pack, uh, passage that talks about the, the birthing of Israel. And in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 6, God tells Israel, when I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Because God is the giver of life. He is the redeemer, the rescuer, and the giver of life. He's the fountain of life, as the psalmist said in Psalm 36. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. God is the God of life. 
He's the one who rescues. He's the, he's the redeemer. He's the ultimate goel par excellence because he gives life. And I can't help but say the ruling Friday of the overturning of the Roe v. Wade. Why God was kind and gracious. I never thought in my lifetime, I never thought it ever would happen. But God sprinkled a little grace of his life, of his, of his character into allowing unborn babies. Maybe, maybe now we'll have a chance. 50 years of the evil of, of, of slaughtering in, innocent children in the womb of moms, so-called. And though it's not, it's not going to end the evil of abortion, it's going to push it back to the, to the states where it should be, and you make those decisions. We're, we live in a secular world, okay? This is not a... We are far from a Christian nation. Again, Francis Schaeffer in 1967 and 68, I think, in his book, The City of God, uh, I think that was the name of the book, he said, we, we're no longer a Christian nation. Haven't been for decades, if we ever were. We're a secular society, and bad things happen in secular society. But God shows up, and His people pray, and good things can happen, and they did Friday. Because He's the fountain of life. And though the fury of the evil pro-death industry is going to their anger is going to be unleashed like probably never before. We pray and we continue to uphold the rights of the unborn. God is a God of life. He's the goel. He's the ultimate redeemer and rescuer and deliverer. The Old Testament is filled with that imagery, but so is the New Testament. In the New Testament, the idea of God being a redeemer is also there. The Bible teaches that every one of us born into this world are born sinners. That's our, that's our birthright as connected with our first parents, Adam and Eve, and sin, the nature of which of death was passed on generation after generation. We are born sinners, and folks, that means that apart from some divine intervention every person born into this world ends up in hell for all of eternity separated from god god cannot let sin into his presence and everybody you me everybody that has ever been born has been born in sin and deserves eternal damnation But the Bible says we have a goel. We have a redeemer. That God in his grace and his mercy sent his only son, the second person of the Trinity, who stepped from his throne in glory in all the, the opulence of glory that he dwelt in. He took on the form of humanity. He became fully human. He became a servant, a slave. He entered our world 2,000 years ago for the purpose of taking our sin upon himself and dying in our place. That's why Jesus came. He came to take our place, to be our substitute. 
to pay for our sins, to do for us what we were incapable of doing for ourselves, to do for ourselves what we didn't even want to do for ourselves. We were enemies of God. But in His kindness and in His grace, He paid for our sins. He set us free. He paid the price. He redeemed us by His love and His mercy through His shed blood. He rose again on the third day and He offers anyone a free gift. The free gift. The wealth of eternal salvation. Simply by believing in that message. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, simply by faith, transferring our trust off ourselves, off our, our good deeds, our religion, or whatever else we think we may have done, and we trust Christ and Christ alone, the free gift, the free offer of eternal salvation, the moment we trust Him, the spiritual wealth of our inheritance becomes ours in that moment and we are assured of a home in heaven because our goel has acted. Our goel has come. For Naomi and Ruth, they had to wait. Okay, Ruth, we got to sit tight. Let's see what all this plays out. Folks, there's no sitting tight or waiting for us because our redemption has been secured for us 2,000 years ago. It's historical fact. We look back on it and we rest already in what he has done. We don't wait until we die to figure it out. You look back to the cross, we know it's already been figured out. And we trust Jesus as our personal Savior. The good news of the story of Ruth, this wonderful love story, it really is a love story of God for sinful man. God playing out his role of the kinsman redeemer for you, for me. Have you put your trust in Christ? Is he your goel this morning? Don't walk out of this building today without settling the issue where you're going to spend eternity. You need a redeemer. Jesus is that redeemer. Trust him. Put your faith in him. He's your goel. Would you pray with me? Our Father, thank you so much for the gift of your grace. Freely, freely given at great cost and expense to you. Lord Jesus, you shed your blood. You died a horrific death. You did that for us. You acted as our kinsman redeemer. You you accomplish the work perfectly. And you provide for us this, this eternal redemption, this freedom from the wages of sin. You provide it freely and offer it. As we just receive it by faith, it becomes ours. The wealth, the spiritual wealth of Jesus becomes ours. Father, we're going to leave this building um, in just a moment. Go back into a world that hates you. It's a world of sin, of darkness that's held in the clutches of the evil one, all by your divine design. 
Would you call us to be lights in this darkened world? We don't rely on Supreme Court decisions, government officials. We rely on you to work your purposes out in a life that is transformed by the power of your grace and mercy, a life that has been set free from the shackles of sin, our lives if we know you as our Savior. Father, may we move about this world with the same grace and kindness and mercy and power that has been deposited within us, our rich inheritance as believers in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to wait for one day for it all to be materialized. We, we can experience it now and be change agents in our world. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us because of our Goel, our Redeemer. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.